Job chapter 26, the entire chapter. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered and said, How you have helped him who has no power. How you have saved the arm that has no strength. How you have consoled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge. With whose help have you uttered words and whose breath has come out from you? The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There always comes a time when each of us must confess, I don't know. Confessing a lack of infinite knowledge is a sign of wisdom. You are confessing that there is a difference between you and God who knows all things. The refusal of Job's friends to confess to Job, I don't know why you're suffering, has led them into a lot of trouble. They have insisted that they knew the secret things of God, those things that God has not chosen to reveal to them, like why Job was suffering. Now, don't get me wrong. The knowledge of God is and should be important to every believer because the knowledge of God is required for eternal life and lacking in knowledge of God will lead to destruction. But the difference is that Job's friends were insisting that they had a knowledge of God which was never revealed to them. It was beyond their limits. And their wisdom ended up not being very wise at all. So now, Job wants to redirect their minds to where wisdom and knowledge is truly found. So first, although his friends had some sound theology, they lacked saving knowledge and wisdom that would benefit souls. Secondly, Saving knowledge and wisdom is found in a sovereign and all-powerful God. Why? Because thirdly, his knowledge and wisdom is infinitely greater than ours. First, you may have sound theology, but it can lack in saving knowledge and wisdom. That is a knowledge and wisdom which not only leads to salvation but also that which contains a message of salvation. This is the problem with both legalism on one side and antinomianism on the other. Legalism where they believe that you can be saved by keeping the law and antinomianism which does not believe in the law at all. 
There is a whole lot of knowledge in both systems, but neither contain a message of free salvation by grace. Job's friends were legalists. In fact, we're all natural legalists. We believe that our morals and our do-gooding will actually appease for all the wrongs we have done. We naturally deny that there needs to be a supernatural and divine act of intervention to turn us around. So we rely on worldly wisdom and philosophy. Because what was the point of Bildad declaring God's dominion and power in chapter 25 without also declaring God's goodness to his creatures? God is infinite in wisdom and knowledge. So you can trust in this God when you don't know what is going on or what he is doing. Bildad and his friends claim to know so much about God, but they forgot to mention that God is also a good God and a trustworthy Savior. They only proclaimed him as Job's judge, and they only sought to instruct Job, but never reassured that God is the one who is able to rescue Job. Really bad counseling, if you ask me. Is this form of pietism? Glorifying to God? Well, no. Instead of glorifying God, Bildad and his friends have misrepresented God. And what is most deceptive is that they have been more consistent in their arguments than Job has. We usually side with those who are consistent. Consistency is usually considered to be a good thing. While Job, on the other hand, has been all over the place. Completely inconsistent. Yet, he is the one who is actually in the right more so than his friends who have been consistently wrong in their conclusions. He is just another believer struggling with his faith, battling with his faith, just like you and I. So Job responds to Bildad with some intense sarcasm, reminding them that their knowledge and wisdom has no saving power for someone who is in need. How you have helped him who has no power. How you have saved the arm that has no strength. How you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge. With whose help have you uttered words and whose breath has come out from you? He is sarcastically asking, is this how you help someone who is weak? Where is salvation found in all of your wisdom? What is the point of it? Their wisdom had no power to save someone who is in need. What is the use of it? They spoke to him as if Job had no wisdom and no knowledge. Their words were nothing but hot air from some guys who probably had some hot breath. They thought their words were from God. They thought they breathed the breath of God. They thought they were inspired by God when they weren't. And their words were really from Satan. Because in our system of religion, that is the Christian system, wisdom, knowledge, and words are what is used to lead someone to salvation. Listen to where Paul would direct Timothy as to where to find the true source of wisdom. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. 
knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, the Holy Scripture, the Word of God is what makes us wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. And what do the sacred writings reveal to us? The knowledge of God. Why is the knowledge of God important? Uh, Well, listen to Jesus in his high priestly prayer. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Wisdom, knowledge, words are all used for the salvation of sinners. This is why Peter would command Christians, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You cannot have one without the other. But for Job, his friends did not have true wisdom, knowledge, or the words that would comfort his soul and present salvation by a trustworthy Savior. No, their words of wisdom was this worldly and legalistic. There was no hope for Job. And the only message that would fit in Job's circumstance at the moment would be a message of undeserved suffering and unmerited grace, which will ultimately come together in the cross of Christ later on. He has already said that he did not find a wise man among them. And here he gives reason. Their words did not lead to the salvation of the needy. And their words did not reflect the true and living God. This can be a word of warning for all of us. Uh, Today, the world is in confusion over what the truth is. Christians are grasping for straws, looking for every and any other possible explanation they can find other than what is clearly taught in God's word. We think we can fix the ultimate problem with strict rules and laws. Though these rules and laws are good in restraining evil, but they can never change the heart of anyone. All men are dead in trespasses and sins without the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are unable to do good without grace. This goes for the outwardly moral person and the absolutely decadent person, the person who has no moral boundaries whatsoever. They are both equally dead to spiritual things. Now, I'm not saying we're not to read books by non-Christians. To get some form of worldly wisdom. I'm not saying that we are to avoid worldly philosophy altogether. It's okay to give moral advice to unbelieving friends. But what will be the church's message to a world that is in need? Will it be humanitarianism? Will it be philanthropy? Will it be do-good philosophy? Or will it be the words of eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ and the Holy Scriptures? Any other wise words or remedy would lead us to become like Job's friends. Because secondly, saving knowledge and wisdom is found in God, not in the wisdom of the world. And his knowledge and wisdom is on display all around us as we can see that he has sovereign control over everything. 
If you haven't noticed, we live in a world that even though it is fallen because of sin, yet there is still a design and an order that even science cannot fully explain. Consider how even our bodies have regenerating capabilities to help us heal when we're injured. And considering how we have distorted his created order, it is a surprise that God even allows humans to continue to live our lives. We live only by his grace and mercy. And his knowledge and wisdom in his mercy is beyond what we could ever imagine. It is beyond the wisdom of Bildad and his friends. In fact, it runs up against the wisdom of Job's friends. In one sense, Job agrees with Bildad that God has dominion over all things. But the difference is that his dominion proves that Bildad does not know God's knowledge and wisdom as he claims. Oddly and inconsistently, Job sings a hymn of praise and adoration to God the creator. Job declares that God's Knowledge and wisdom is displayed in his power as he is sovereign over death. He is sovereign over all of creation and he subdues evil under his rule. First, he rules over death. The dead cannot escape the rule of God. In fact, the dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. He takes us into the lower regions of the earth, under the waters and even to Sheol, the place where the dead dwell. And there Sheol is naked before God. Even Abaddon, a word that translates to mean destruction. In Greek, it is translated Apollyon. We find this in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. He is the angel of the bottomless pit who guards Sheol and the dead. Even he has no covering. He has nowhere to hide himself. People often say that hell is separation from God. Hell is not separation from God. God is there. He is present. So neither the dead, nor the place of the dead, nor the guardian of Sheol, that is the guardian of the dead, can escape from the presence of the all-seeing eye of God. So even in the supernatural realm, They are all under his sovereign rule, where he rules with his infinite knowledge and wisdom. Secondly, he rules not only over the supernatural, but also over the natural. He rules over all creation. He created and sustains all things. He maintains his created order. What Job says here brings our minds back to the creation account in Genesis 1. He stretches out the north over the void. And he hangs the earth on nothing. The word for north is the word Zaphon. As in Mount Zaphon. Which is a mountain where the gods and goddesses dwell in ancient polytheistic religion. Polytheism is the worship of more than one god. And this polytheistic language has been used to describe the sovereignty of God in other places of Scripture, such as Psalm 48, verse 2, where it says, His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, or Zephon. Also, this word comes up again when God taunted the pride of the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14, verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. 
I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north, or Zaphon. So the word north has to do with mountainous elevation, the sky, the heavens where it is dark. So we can say that God not only created the heavens and the earth, but he also stretched the north, the heavens, over the void, and he hung the earth on nothing. Remember in the beginning, the earth was without form and void until God formed it, stretching out the heavens and forming the earth, placing everything in their proper places. Also, he separated the waters that were above and below the expanse. That is, the clouds in the sky and the great bodies of water we find surrounding the earth. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. What a picture of the clouds holding rain like a balloon until the moment God says, open. Like when he split open the clouds to flood the earth in the time of Noah. And he covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. A full moon can also be translated as his throne, which may be referring to how God covers his throne with clouds, making himself inaccessible. He even placed boundaries or limits here translated as a circle on the face of the waters. He separated the earth from the waters and light from darkness. Light here is parallel with the earth, The dry ground, a place of order, separated from the darkness, which parallels the sea, the place of chaos and demonic activity. And since God has ultimate and sovereign rule over all of his creation, he decides what to do with his creation. And his creation recognizes his voice. It says the pillars of heaven or the mountains tremble And are astounded at his rebuke. He shakes the strongest parts of his creation with his voice when he speaks judgment. What Job is trying to correct is that his friends seem to have mistaken God's creation order with God himself. This resides in our corrupted nature, doesn't it? We naturally mistaken the creature for the creator. The creation reveals the creator... But it must not be mistaken with the creator. Because the creator will do with his creation whatever he pleases. Thirdly, he rules over evil. He subdues evil and makes peace in the lowest to the highest regions of his creation. It says that by his power, he stilled the sea. And by his wind, or better, breath, or spirit, The heavens were made fair. You can imagine the peaceful serenity that you would find at the beginning of creation when the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And in these regions, the sea and the heavens, there dwells evil creatures. We read this in Ephesians that there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And in Revelation it says that there was a war in the heavens in Revelation 12 verse 7. And the sea is symbolic of chaos and evil where demons were believed to dwell. And again, Job utilizes Near Eastern mythology to prove his point that God subdues all evil. He says, by his understanding, he shatters Rahab. 
and his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Rahab is another name for the giant serpent of the sea, Leviathan, who was to be considered to be the embodiment of evil. He is the equivalent of who we regard as Satan. And here he is referred to as the fleeing or fugitive serpent. He is a fugitive fleeing from God who is his judge. And he cannot run quick enough. And there is nowhere for him to hide. In fact, he is also mentioned in Isaiah. And that day the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent. And he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. It is amazing. It is amazing how the symbolic nature of Near Eastern mythology, pagan mythology, is utilized and subdued by God our Savior. Isn't it? People and scholars will see this and say, well, see, the Bible is just part of Eastern mythology. It's all a myth. But that's not true. God has been doing this since the fall. He uses pagan culture around him to get his point across. He did this in Egypt, he did this in Babylon. He did this here. Paul even quotes a pagan philosopher to prove his point in Acts chapter 17, verses 27 through 28. He created all things, and he is sovereign over all things. Also, think of the one who actually fulfills this text. To some, this may sound a little allegorical or far-fetched, but think of Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 34 that we read this morning. At this time, Jesus was going around, subduing and reversing the effects of evil. He was cleansing lepers and healing many. Then we come to two scenes back to back where Jesus demonstrates his power over creation and over evil creatures themselves. In the first scene, he walks into a boat with his disciples. There arose a great storm on the sea. They panicked. He was sleeping. They woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. In other words, by his power, he stilled the sea. Later, he would also walk on the sea to show his dominion over all of creation. And it is interesting to note that right after this, he called out of legion of demons, out of two men, and sent the demons into a herd of pigs. And the herd of pigs rushed into the sea and drowned. Jesus was demonstrating that he has ultimate sovereignty and power over all of creation, both natural and supernatural, good and evil. He's running things. So often in our culture, they make it seem as if Satan is running something. But no. Even Satan and all of his minions are under God's control. Thirdly, God's knowledge and wisdom is infinitely greater than ours. 
Job says, I have tried to summarize the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of God's wisdom and knowledge, but I haven't even scratched the surface of it. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Over and over in Job, you can hear Paul saying, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Look around and see for yourself. Do you think you could have thought up creation? You think you could have thought up the diversity of colors, shapes, and sizes of everything around us and their intricate details? How every blade of grass is different from another? Forget grass. How about every grain of sand is different from another? And yet they somehow all come together and work together. But this is how sinful mankind is. Man is full of himself. How often do we wake up and take for granted what we see, taste, hear, and smell? Yes, even the manure that is spread on the cornfields. Men often act as if we created all this and that God is in some way obligated to us because we might know something about something. Colleges, universities, seminaries, higher education in general is a good thing. Uh, We need to be educated to do things, constructive things that contribute to life and mankind, hopefully for the glory of God. But sometimes, higher education can get to your head and you begin to think that you know better than God. This can be a warning for all the young people who are thinking about college. Don't let it get to your head. No one knows better than God, not even your professors. Because his knowledge and wisdom is infinite, while ours is limited. And God chose to reveal himself generally in creation and especially in his word, that is, the Holy Scriptures. He chose to reveal himself in a special way to his people in a book. And as many of you know, this book is inexhaustible. Never mind God. We never get to the bottom of this book, no matter how many times we read it. I could preach a series of sermons from one verse for my entire life and still not get to the bottom of that verse. I'm not going to do it, but I can. So man, do you think you could ever get to the bottom of who God is? Are we just here to try to figure out all of his ways? Who can understand it? The Lord says to all of us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So that makes my application a little simple this morning. I only have two. Acknowledge and trust. Acknowledge and trust. You are to acknowledge, then trust. Acknowledge what? Acknowledge that you are not as smart or wise as you think you are. Acknowledge your own lack of wisdom and knowledge. Acknowledge. And recognize that you are dependent on God for all things. This is what Job's friends should have acknowledged. They should have acknowledged and recognized 
the limits of their own knowledge and wisdom. And this would have avoided their misrepresentations, not only of Job, but also of God. They should have said, I don't know what God is doing here, Job. But I do know that God is good and that God is sovereign. So you are to acknowledge that you are finite and that God is infinite. Acknowledge your weaknesses, your limitations, your sins. Notice, Job's friends so far have not acknowledged their own sinfulness yet. Job has acknowledged his fallenness, though he needs to a little bit more. But this is the lesson. Man is limited. How many world leaders, rulers, and tyrants over the centuries have claimed ultimate and unlimited power and authority. They claim to be like gods, yet for every one of them, those claims were eventually disproven the day they died. When will we learn? If you don't know yourself and what it is you need, how can you claim that you know a God who is your Savior? That is not a wisdom that leads to salvation. If you can't acknowledge and recognize that you're a sinner, weak, frail, helpless, and lifeless, and the fact that you do not know as much as you think you know, where do you think that will lead? As a wise elder often says, maybe he's part of this congregation, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So you acknowledge your helpless state and limitations and also acknowledge God's goodness and his unlimited knowledge, wisdom, and power. God alone has power over life and death. He rules over the supernatural and the natural realms. He rules over good and evil. And you can trust in his knowledge and wisdom to guide all things for his glory and the good of his people. All of this was ultimately fulfilled and revealed in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus displayed his rule over all of life by healing the sick. He displayed his rule over death by raising the dead like when Lazarus was raised. He displayed his rule over all creation, both natural as well as supernatural, when he calmed the sea and walked on it. And when he cast the evil spirits into the pigs who ran down and drowned into the sea. He rules over everything. All authority belongs to him. Jesus is not only referred to as the power of God, but also he is the wisdom of God. Because the power and wisdom of God was displayed in the cross of Christ. Power displayed in weakness. Wisdom displayed in foolishness. Evil was subdued at the cross. That is not the way man would have thought of a plan of redemption, right? That wouldn't be the plan of man to subdue evil. He would just run to pick up arms and probably ignore the evil that's within himself. When his son died on the cross, there was an earthquake and the rocks split. In other words, the pillars of heaven trembled at his rebuke. The powers of death, sin, and Satan were conquered on that day. Because remember, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Then three days later, the Lord demonstrated his power over life and death as he did not let his Holy One see corruption. This is what led Paul to say, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Man would have never thought of this plan. The religious systems of this world have no power to save because they rely on human power and wisdom not the power and wisdom of God. In the religious systems of men, evil is never subdued. The battle never ends for them. But in Christ, he has subdued all creation, life and death, good and evil. And guess what? That power, beloved, resides in you. Amazing. So secondly... You can trust in his wisdom, knowledge, and power because we are so easily stumped in our own knowledge and wisdom, aren't we? Right when we think we have all of life figured out, something happens in our lives that forces us to ask, what is going on? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I'm lacking in wisdom to help my own situation. Well, you can trust in his wisdom, knowledge, and power because they are infinite. This is what he accomplished in and through Jesus Christ. The new creation that God came to accomplish in and through Jesus Christ is you. Right? It's you. And what this means is strength to the weak, help to the helpless, power to the powerless, wisdom for the foolish, and knowledge for the ignorant. Man has tried all sorts of other remedies to restore life. But no matter what man tries, it all leads to nothing. Now, I appreciate all of the technological advances and progress we have made in medicine to extend life. But in the end, there is only one who can grant everlasting life. And that everlasting life begins here and now in this world. It begins when by his power, God creates new life and faith in you that you may trust Jesus Christ, and unite him to you and you to him. So acknowledge and trust in his wisdom, knowledge, and power to save you from the uttermost. Amen.